0: And the belief is that if you can take your personal suffering beyond yourself and offer something to the others so that they will not suffer the way that you have suffered, then you have lived a life of purpose or a life that was a dharmic life. So I decided to take my life experience of being a caregiver to a caregiver beyond my personal suffering and say how could we bring this in to all other caregivers in society because caregivers are usually invisible, they are unrecognized, they are underappreciated and they often deprioritize themselves. But caregivers and their healing is absolutely pivotal to the healing and well-being
1: of the patient. Welcome, friends, to The Entrepreneur Speaks. I'm your host, Kofi Anumedu. Each week, I host an amazing entrepreneur on their journey, successes, and challenges. It is my hope that we'll learn from their experiences as we all work towards living a life of passion and purpose. I'm pleased to host my guests on this episode Of The Entrepreneur Speaks, she's a passionate person with diverse interests. She's the founder and CEO of a consulting firm and a social venture, Caregiver Sati. Her story was featured in a book authored by the best-selling author, Rashmi Bansal, titled, Touching the Sky, The Inspiring Stories of Women Across India Who Are Changing Their Destiny. She is currently based in Mumbai with her husband and daughter. My guest today is Bhavana Isa, founder and CEO of Caregiver Sati. In this conversation, we'll focus on her social enterprise, Caregiver Sati, and her passion for motorcycles. Sit back, relax. And enjoy our conversation. Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks Bavana.
0: Thank you, Kofi. It's my delight to be here.
1: I'm also excited to host you on this episode. So let's start off with getting to know you. Please tell us about yourself and how growing up was like.
0: Hmm. All right. So um, I like to believe that uh, I am a person who has diverse interests. And uh, I do not like the idea of being um, boxed into one definition. So uh, I like to do many things which could also be seen as uh, maybe I don't have clarity of what I want to do or that I'm a scatterbrain. Or that I'm actually a restless soul. I relate with the <laughs> idea of being a restless soul more than anything else. Um, so in a certain way, I'm quite a wanderer or, uh, you know, um, you could say I'm a wonder woman. Um, what was growing up like for me? So, um, I was born to a pilot in the Indian Air Force. So my childhood was about growing up in many different cities in a fairly cosmopolitan setting of the armed forces. And um, I have the beautiful legacy of my, uh, you know, generations before me being in education on my mother's side.
1: And uh,
0: being... um, doctors and healers uh, on my father's side. So uh, growing up for me was uh, very interesting. Although we live in a country where uh, gender discrimination is quite high, I personally was not subject to it. And I'm so grateful, increasingly grateful for that as I encounter gender discrimination every day even today i was encouraged to do anything that i could do or i wanted to do um, okay and uh, i think uh, my mother specifically had a lot of expectations from me so which was good and it was challenging
1: very interesting so let's now look at caregiving And your social enterprise. Yes. Can you help us understand who a caregiver really is? Who is a caregiver?
0: So at a fundamental level, uh, I believe that each one of us is a caregiver. Okay. In all our roles. It is a very fundamental sign of being a human being. And I'm going to tell you a story of... uh, the legendary anthropologist, Dr. Margaret Mead, who was once asked, what do you believe are the early signs of a civilization? And she said that, for me, the early signs of a civilization is a healed femur bone, which is the thigh bone. And she went on to explain that if you were in the animal kingdom and you broke your femur bone, you would be dead meat because you would not be able to take care of yourself long enough to heal yourself. So if you found a femur bone that was healed, that means that somebody had bothered to take care of you, to bound up the wound and help you recover through the healing process. And that is the first sign of civilization. So to care for another person is the sign of civilization and humanity. And to that extent, I believe we are all caregivers. In our definition, uh, we look at those caregivers who have to support their family members uh, over a period of time especially when they're dealing with incurable conditions. Now, caregivers could be professional caregivers. So people who are doctors, nurses, attendants, teachers, coaches are all caregivers. But uh, then there are informal caregivers. And informal caregivers are people who are not paid for providing care. So mothers, parents, children, usually are family members or friends as well who are caregivers, but they are not really paid for this job.
1: Very interesting. And I like the fact that you indicated we are all caregivers, so we don't need to be professionally trained to be a caregiver. That's interesting to note. Please tell us about caregiver safety. And what are the services you offer?
0: Yes. So the purpose of caregiver Sathi uh, is to be companions to caregivers. Sathi is the uh, Hindi or Sanskrit for companion and therefore the name caregiver Sathi. And uh, here's little trivia for you. In India, there are as many as uh, 23 official languages. And across all languages, this is the only word, sati, which has the same meaning, which means companion. So, um, the belief is that when there is someone unwell or who needs care, there is a caregiver. But the caregiver also needs care and also needs a companion because sometimes. The caregiving journey can be long, can be lonely, can be difficult, and can be sometimes um, ambiguous as well. So caregivers need caregivers. Caregivers need companions. So Caregiver Saathi has been set up to provide an ecosystem of well-being and healing for family caregivers. What are the services that we offer? We offer a helpline, a companionship that a caregiver can call in and get reliable, trustworthy information. They can get the education and training. They can get the counseling and they can get access to reliable services that can help make their caregiving journey easy.
1: Very interesting. What's the story behind the setup of your social enterprise, Caregiver Sati?
0: Yes, there's always a story, right? There's always a personal story.
1: There's always a story. We <laughs> want to know that story. <laughs> That's right.
0: So um, here's my story. I, um, like I told you, I, my great-grandfather was a doctor, and I think that uh, part of the fact that he was a healer is there in my blood. But um, that was uh, two generations before me. And um, I have seen a lot of caregiving in my family for a variety of reasons, whether it was old age or it was a sense of duty and responsibility or it was illness. Uh, Personally, um, almost 21 years ago, my father had uh, passed away of a terminal illness And he had been suffering with that terminal illness for five years prior to that. So I saw him uh, navigate or grapple or struggle or fight with the illness. And uh, some years later, when I wanted to remember him and honor his memory, I realized that while his condition was really rare, there was actually a common denominator across a variety of illnesses and medical conditions. So if you step okay. back and you look at, usually people support a particular medical condition. So you could be, you know, like patients of cancer or patients of Parkinson's, etc. But if you look back and you see across all terminal illnesses, there is a common denominator. And the common denominator is the family caregiver or the primary caregiver. And in my case, that was my mother. And while my mother was a primary caregiver, I was the caregiver to the caregiver. And uh, there is a concept of living your purpose or living your dharma in, uh, in, in the Hindu philosophy And the belief is that if you can take your personal suffering beyond yourself and offer something to the others so that they will not suffer the way that you have suffered, then you have lived a life of purpose or a life that was dharmic life. So I decided to take my life experience of being a caregiver to a caregiver Beyond my personal suffering, and say, how could we bring this in to all other caregivers in society? Because caregivers are usually invisible, they are unrecognized, they are underappreciated, and they often deprioritize themselves. But caregivers and their healing is absolutely pivotal to the healing and well being of the patient. So that's the story.
1: Thank you so much for sharing this with us. So how long have you been running this enterprise and how has the journey been so far?
0: So officially I have been running this enterprise for about two years. It's not really an enterprise yet. It's like a little baby that is taking its early steps. Okay. Um, But I have been um, working on the concept and the research and... uh, the challenges around it for almost eight years. So um, I have uh, invested a lot of my time and energy to understand what does the world of a caregiver look like and what might be their challenges? What is it that they need? How does the socio-cultural dynamic impact family caregivers? And therefore, what would be the most meaningful thing to offer them? or to even define them. So while, um, you know, I think that before the pandemic, uh, the idea of a caregiver and a family caregiver of a terminally ill person was something that not many people understood. Uh, One of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that now people understand the concept of caregiver much easier. And um, it's a lot easy to explain, right? So, for example, you can say, imagine yourself in lockdown and imagine the anxiety, the fear of death, the isolation. um, Everything that you are feeling right now, the sense of grief of losing someone and being helpless. These are exactly what a family caregiver goes through. So, um, people get it, people get it much easier now.
1: Okay, you, you, you made mention of the pandemic, so I would like to know: so, has the pandemic hindered or boosted your operations?
0: Both, um, I think that in some ways, are it has hindered uh, our regular outreach programs where one could have gone and visited homes or put people together in groups and done training or awareness sessions for them, those are no longer so easily possible. We had also hoped that we would set up a center where people could come in and experience uh, relief or be able to get the resources that they need. We haven't been able to do all of that. So in a way we are hindered. But in another way, the fact that everybody has become comfortable with the digital platforms has allowed us to do a lot more digitally than physically. So, um, and like I mentioned a little while ago, that caregivers, uh, you know, the understanding the idea of a caregiver has become easier because of the pandemic. Everybody has been subject to become a caregiver, irrespective of age, irrespective of gender, irrespective of whether or not you have seen illness in your family, right? Okay. So, in a way, it has boosted as well, unfortunately or fortunately.
1: Okay. So, like you mentioned, you've been around handling this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Can you share some of the challenges you've encountered?
0: Yes. You know, the, there are, the, the biggest dilemma for a caregiver is that very often, and I would think that this is true across a lot of cultures, uh, is that family members do not see themselves as caregivers. Very often they think that caregiver is that person that you hire to do your work. Family members see themselves as um, responsible parents, caring partners, loving children, but never as caregivers. So first and foremost, the biggest challenge is for us to be able to see ourselves as caregivers or recognize that caregiving is a role Just because I'm a good daughter does not make me a good caregiver. That's one. The second is that, um, you know, 60 to 80% of the caregivers are women. And uh, because they are women, uh, there are a lot of stereotypes. So women are expected to be nurturing. They are expected to sacrifice their careers. They are expected to multitask and um, they are expected to be caregivers. And if they are expected to be such, it is also expected that they might not need any help in this. Uh, The third biggest challenge is that um, mental health or the psychosocial support for caregivers, for people in general is very difficult. And then on top of that, to take services for caregivers is even harder. Um, You know, let's say there are $100 in a household and there is illness. The likelihood of that money being spent on the illness, on the nutrition, on education is higher. And the mental health of the caregiver will have the last priority. So it's a huge challenge to get caregivers to prioritize their mental health and their psychosocial support. Those are the three big challenges.
1: Okay. So just as there are challenges, I believe there's also been a lot of lessons on this journey. Can you share some of these lessons with us?
0: Absolutely. Um, First of all, My biggest lesson, and I think I'm just totally delighted to learn that, is that um, a lot of people want to help. A lot of people want to support. But they may not know how to support. So an entrepreneur or somebody who has defined their mission or their purpose or their movement need to be able to break down the challenge or the problem into smaller bits and pieces and help others see a reflection of themselves in the challenge. So while people are well-intentioned and they want to help, they may not be able to help unless you make it very easy and very clear for them. This has been the hardest for me. Uh, okay. There are many other lessons that I have learned, which is it's okay to fail. You must try it out. You can improve along the way. So you don't have to have the perfect solution or an answer. You can start off with something and improvise along the way. Um. The third biggest lesson that I have learned is that actually there is no difference between a social enterprise and a business enterprise or, let's say, a for-profit enterprise. Um, You can have whatever your motivation, the structure and the clarity that you require in either of the cases is the same. I have a long list of lessons, but I will stick to these three.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for this. Yes. What inspires you to do this? I'm sure you draw inspirations from several sources to do this. Yes. What inspires you to do this?
0: So I have a lot of people to thank for this, especially my mentor. I think uh, my mentor who taught me that I must lead a life of purpose or a life of you know, total conviction and uh, he is Raghu Anant Narayan and I think he has not just personally guided me but has also you know been in a way a caregiver sati for me. You okay. know I've had I have been a caregiver as well and it has been very hard for me to see my caregiving journey and to see what I need but my mentor uh, and in a way he's not just a mentor he's a And he is somebody who has deeply cared for me. He has been such a support during my caregiving journey that uh, I feel that, you know, the concept and the idea of uh, caregiver Sati is only um, overdue and we need to bring it to this world And uh, what inspires me to be able to do this is that, uh, you know, the blessings of my parents, that anything can be done. And I think some lessons that I have learned from my hobby, which is motorcycle riding, you can really take your motorcycle anywhere, right? You don't need need a road for it. You can go off-road. So sometimes I feel I'm going off-road. But that's okay. That's what makes it fun.
1: <laughs> I was just about coming to that side of your life. And, and, and I'm happy you, you introduce it yourself. <laughs> you are very passionate about motorcycles. And I can describe you as a biker. Tell us about that part of your life.
0: So here's the thing. You know, when I was younger... Um, My father used to have this scooter and it was something that he had bought uh, with a lot of pride and it was like um, um, a precious thing for him. And uh, learning how to ride his scooter was something I looked forward to. But it was a rule that only if you are able to get yourself a license if you are able to maintain it then you get access to the scooter and it just represented so much freedom and independence and maybe it was like a rite of passage to being an adult so I look forward to uh you know uh it was just like if my father gave me his scooter he was trusting me that I had grown up to be able to handle his scooter. It was quite a moment that I looked up to and um, I earned the right to ride his scooter. So uh, I used to ride the scooter. It was earlier, more, um, you know, out of convenience, I could get to college, I could get around faster and it looked cool as well. And I liked that. I was one of the few women who would ride a two wheeler that, uh, you know, that me that in delhi where i was growing up so while that was in my younger days when i got to my post graduation all the boys used to have motorcycles and they would have you know special status because they could take the girls to the market and yeah. <laughs> I uh and my stance with them used to be listen I don't want you to take me to the market just give me your motorcycle I will take it <laughs> myself <time." laughs> And uh of course uh not many boys were very happy with that uh because you know they wanted to take you for a ride not yeah. metaphorically <laughs> but um <laughs> uh, And so I did have a couple of my friends who liked this part of me and uh, they would lend me their bikes and uh, I would take their bike. And uh, I'm grateful to them because that's when I realized that I really enjoy riding a motorcycle. It gives me joy. Uh, Still, I never thought of it like a hobby. It was only many years later that... You know, And I had a motorcycle earlier on, but then, you know, you kind of buy a car and then you get, you say that, okay, let's have a bigger car and this, that. So many years later, I felt that my husband and I were on a holiday and we felt that, you know, we could, we could have a bike. We could enjoy a bike. So my husband bought me a motorcycle for my 39th birthday. Oh, okay. And I got back to motorcycle riding and it has been so much fun to ride into my
1: 40s. (laughs) So you indicate you rediscovered yourself through riding. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this experience.
0: So I think, you know, getting into motorcycle riding in my 40s was, was... Quite an incredible experience. Uh, By this time, motorcycle riding had become very popular or was becoming popular in India. And a lot of people were taking it up like a sport, like a hobby, like a passion. Uh, When I was younger, we used to ride the motorcycle or the two-wheeler to just get from one place to another. Now, uh, I found that there were many groups. I joined a group of women motorcyclists. And, you know, we'd go out for rides occasionally and meet people who, other women who were fond of motorcycle riding and exchange ideas. And I think in going for long rides, I found my confidence back in myself, the joy that I experienced of being on a motorcycle and the fact that I could do anything. And like I told you, uh, With a motorcycle, you can actually go to a terrain that is not really chartered. So you could get into uh, off-road and really create a new road. And that is so exciting for me that you don't have to go on the beaten track. You can chart a new road. And uh, there are so many incidents that I have of being able to, when my body was giving up, but my bike would remind me that I can go. My mind would tell me that I could go. And sometimes my mind would get tired and my body would tell my mind that this was possible. So I think that, um, you know, I was able to claim myself for who I am because I'm a motorcycle rider.
1: Very interesting. In doing my research, I discovered that you and six other women undertook a motorcycle expedition to Mana pass, mm-hmm. And I discovered it's the highest motuable pass along the India-China border. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this expedition and also share some of the experiences with us. Yes. So
0: I think this was, uh, this was like uh, an expedition that a friend of mine, one of the motorcycle rider women, contacted me and said, would you be interested? And we are planning to go here. And I don't think I got the full import of the idea that what would this really mean? And I, I just signed up and I said, yes, I'd be interested. And um, I'm, not, I, I'm not a seasoned rider, but uh, I just wanted the adventure. So uh, it was uh, quite an immense learning for seven of us to ride together uh, to that ride, we learned so much along the way. We learned, uh, of course, we also had our challenges, not just with each other, but with the environment and so many other challenges along the way. But we learned to navigate our way through that. And we learned to stay committed to our goal. And I remember that um, at one point, the terrain we were in was um, politically sensitive terrain okay. and uh, it was really cold and, uh, you know, we needed to, we needed to ride uh, back uh, and uh, it started to snow and we were riding in the snow and wow. it was, um, it was a huge challenge. And of course, while we were uh, also going up the mountains, there were many times that one fell down. You know, so you cannot be afraid of falling down. You will fall down, and you will get up again, and you will hurt yourself, and uh, you will carry on. Uh, and uh, I think, in many ways, in that experience, I learned that it is okay to fall down from the bike. It is okay to fall down in life. It is okay to take a pause and you can still find the energy and the conviction and you can get up and go again. So there are so many, many stories from that ride. I can go on and on, (laughs) but this would be a nice summary.
1: Thank you so much. So listeners, like she rightly pointed out, it's okay to fall, it's okay to take a pause, but always remember to get up and move forward. That's we right. are just about wrapping up. What will be your advice and last words to my listeners?
0: Um So I'm fresh from a conversation with a very dear friend. I'm going to say the same thing, which is, I think each one of us has our own story. And that's something that Rashmi Bansal told me when she wanted to write my story in her book. And I told her that I don't think my story is of any significance, but she told me that every story matters. So what I'd like to tell everyone is, Your story matters. Claim your story and tell your story. Do not judge it for anyone else. And I think it is um, absolutely okay to fall down again and again and again, so long as you can get up again and again and again. Uh, The fun is in the ride. Not so much in the destination. The fun is um, in, of course, there is, the destination is makes it very exciting and makes it challenging and makes it a memory. But uh, I think life is about a motorcycle ride. And uh, I really wish that many, many women, especially, but men and women, experience uh, having the ride of their life.
1: Very interesting. So listeners, this has been an exciting episode and I would like to use this opportunity to thank my guest, Bhavana Issa, for sharing her journey and rich experiences with us. I'll come your way next time with another exciting episode of The Entrepreneur Speaks. I remain your host, Kofi Animedu. And like our guest said, we are all caregivers. Stay safe and keep hope alive. Cheers.
0: God bless.